If you're not winning, you're losing. It's episode three of For Our Edification. Welcome to For Our Edification, and thank you for downloading your identity and value game plan. I'm Eddie Francis, and make sure you go to eddiefrancis.com where you can check out the identity and value blog, also my new personal branding resource center, and sign up for the identity and value e-newsletter. That'll pump up your personal brand. So For Our Edification is uh, doing a bit of a relaunch of sorts. So what I'm going to do is take it back to when I had the Eddie Francis podcast show and a great conversation that I had with David Grubb. Now, it was around the time, uh, early 2018, and the Saints, my New Orleans Saints, had just lost the heartbreaker, the playoff heartbreaker to the Minnesota Vikings. And the, the scapegoat for this was a guy named Marcus Williams. Here we are, early 2019. And just yesterday, the Saints beat the Philadelphia Eagles in the playoffs. And in that game, last drive, it looks like the Eagles are going to probably get a touchdown out of this thing. And the ball goes right through the hands of a wide receiver, Alshon Jeffrey. And the ball goes right into the hands of a Saints player. Game is over. With these players, stuff happens. And that's the conversation with David. Who are these men and women outside of the arena? David Grubb, by the way, he covers my New Orleans Pelicans. And also he has his fingers on the pulse of who the players are because he has done a lot of locker room interviews. And he is a columnist for Crescent City Sports. Check him out at CrescentCitySports.com. Oh, and just a reminder, again, this is a throwback interview, so you're going to hear a reference to DeMarcus Boogie Cousins as a member of the Pelicans. <sighs> the views and opinions expressed on For Our Edification do not necessarily reflect the views or opinions of the hosts, guests, or any entities with which we are affiliated. As a journalist, mm -hmm. have you ever been in the locker room after a crushing loss for a team? You know, um, my primary um, beats are LSU and uh, the Pelicans. And oh, um, So the answer is yes. Go ahead. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm around a lot of tough defeats. I mean, you know, the last three seasons with the Pelicans, there have been some games where you walk in and, and you it's it's tangible. You can feel the tension um, in the air. There's, you know, that mix of anger, frustration, and even some sadness. Um, and, 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 so when you feel that in a locker room, it becomes, as a reporter, a very uh, tough line to walk because you need to get answers because you're trying to write a story um, and you want to give your readers the most accurate view possible of what went on during the game and what you're seeing afterwards. But at the same time, you have to respect the individual who is going through a public defeat um, you know, that's not only in front of the thousands in that building, but people who will watch it on television and see it on Sports Center or wherever else. Yeah. So these things, you know, the rest of us in life, when we make mistakes, it may be in front of five to ten or even by ourselves. Um, but these are men and women at these high stages of competition who are doing it in front of millions. And that's a very tough emotional thing to grapple with. 
And just as you were answering that question, I actually remember an experience I had. Um, I was uh, one of the media marshals, one of the volunteer marshals uh, for the NCAA regional uh, men's basketball tournament one year. And I had to marshal the locker room, uh, Notre Dame's locker room, right after they were upset by Old Dominion. And it was, first of all, I grew up a Notre Dame fan. So I'm sitting there, all I'm standing there, all excited because I'm like, man, I get to, I'm gonna be in the, I'm gonna be in the Irish's locker room, and then they get, uh, they get this upset because they were supposed to go deep into the tournament that year. Uh, this was mm-hmm. when Tyler Hansborough's brother played for Notre Dame, I believe. Yes, he was guard. Yep. Yes, and man, I mean, I'm standing in the locker room and I'm watching these dudes kick chairs around. You know, uh, you know, Notre Dame is Catholic, so the priest says his prayer, and 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 the the poor the poor sports the sport the poor SID. She's trying to, you know, rally the media, and I'm trying to help her get them together, and to watch the reporters walk into the room and to hear them ask, you know, questions that they're reporters, right? So they're just trying to get the answers. And to hear them ask questions and to see how the players are reacting to the questions and all this other stuff. And, you know, especially especially when a question like, how does it feel? You know, how does it feel to oh. get this loss? <laughs> you know? I mean, yeah, you know, those are just going to get torn up when you get to that point where you don't have any more good questions to ask. And yeah. then, you know, the new guy is going to ask a really bad one. <laughs> <laughs> You know, and, and it's like you said, it's either how does this loss feel or, you know, what do you do at this point in the season? Yeah. You know, those types of things. And those guys don't want to answer that question. You right. know, if they tell you what's really in their heads or do. I mean, I've seen athletes stand up in locker rooms when a reporter asks a dumb question. The first athlete I ever interviewed was Greg Lloyd. You remember the linebacker? <laughs> Yes, avoid Lloyd. <laughs> and he was playing, he was at the end of his career when he was playing with the Carolina Panthers. Yes. So he was, you know, past his prime, and, and they were playing the uh, Saints, and the Saints won, and it was in Carolina. And um, I was a, still an intern at a TV station in North Carolina. Oh, man. And I tried to ask him a question, and he stared at me. <laughs> And he didn't say a word. He just stared at me. And if you've seen a Greg Lloyd stare, you know that it's not one to be played with. So Lloyd, I, Lloyd was no joke, man. I took a step back and <laughs> let others do their job. So wait a minute. What was the question? Do you remember? I didn't even get it all the way out. <laughs> just that I think he looked at me and said, I don't know you. So who are you? You know, it's one of those moments where you just okay, I've messed up the hierarchy or I've done something. <laughs> Whatever transgression I've made, I will not do this again. So I was never the first person to ask a question for for about seven years. I wouldn't do it because Greg Lloyd. <laughs> and so, as a reporter, I, I just have to know this: at what point? Are you reminded that you are talking to a human being and not some mindless gladiator? Well, I try to keep that in mind um, constantly uh, because when I criticize, I always try to criticize um, strictly on play. Uh, I never try to insert intent um, or try to 
get inside and assume something that a player is doing mm-hmm. because I think that dehumanizes them. They should have the right to express uh, for themselves what they were thinking, what they were doing. All I can say is on this play, you weren't where you should have been. That's a, you know, a discussion that's simply about the, the playing of the game. I don't want to get personal with mm-hmm. uh, and, and, and assume those types of things. So, you know, and especially with black athletes, okay. um, yeah. You know, I feel like an even bigger burden there to make sure that I constantly um, affirm to my audience that these are people, mm-hmm. uh, because I think you know we know that there is a a tendency for audiences to to, to dehumanize athletes, but particularly, I mean, we, you know, the psychological studies that show that people think black people can endure more pain mm-hmm. or are just more natural um, athletes. So I think those things dehumanize them. So I, I try not to participate in that in, in, in any way. Can you think of an uh, of a player, I mean, it could be pro, it could be college, where when they did... Um, answer a question or when they did react to something uh, you yourself said okay this is who this person really is and I think his or her reaction is going to is going to really kind of change people's minds a little bit Uh, I think the first time we met DeMarcus Cousins um, as a pool uh he changed your mind very quickly about his intellect as an individual. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think anybody thought he was dumb, but you, you were, I was surprised at how insightful he was. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he, even you know, he expressed during training camp this year, um, his, uh, in, his feelings towards the president. He was unafraid to say what was on his mind. It was a slight bit, uh, you know, profane but at the same time i think he was voicing a frustration and what he said before and afterwards uh put it all into context Mm -hmm. so i was really you know interested in hearing more from him and he's typically an upfront person when we get to interview him in the locker room he lets down his guard he can be very funny he can be very um uh surly he can be, <laughs> you know, can be, <laughs> you know, but he can, he has a wide range. He's not one thing. He's not the guy who just racks up technicals. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I think that, that he's uh, kind of gone out of his way to make sure that the people of New Orleans see his total personality. Mm-hmm. But he was a big surprise uh, coming in. So you see this real side of an athlete. And, and I feel like when I see a, a real side of an athlete, when I finally figure out who this athlete is, and, and I, it, I think of his or her value, not just to the team, but to the community a lot differently. I mean, do you see, do you see that kind of switch maybe in your perception of a, of a player when, when you finally get an idea, when they kind of let you in? Um, I think what you, you know, what I've learned is that you know, this is this is who he is. And I think it's the same kind of realization you make with a player like a Rashid Wallace or Dennis Rodman, who people say, oh, look at all the technical fouls. But when you start really paying attention to Rashid and you start appreciating the things he did when he got away from Portland and was playing with the Pistons and then with the Celtics to a lesser degree, you saw how passionate he was about the game of basketball. And that those technical fouls were a consequence of that passion. And so sometimes you have to say, 
I'm willing to accept the passion based on your production. Now, if you're a poor player and you're doing those types of things, you, I really don't need you. But if, <laughs> but, as Jimmy Johnson said a long time ago, I'm fair, but I'm, I, don't, I don't treat everybody the same. Mm -hmm. I treat you based on what you give me. And if you're not giving me anything, you're not going to get that leash. Let's look at the uh, example of of Terrell Owens. You know, he was known for really living out loud. Uh, He's he's known famously or maybe infamously for the that's my quarterback uh, locker room speech when he comes to tears. And then you see the reality show. And the reality show, you you are let all the way into his life. I mean, the financial struggles and all of that stuff. When people, when you when you take a look at how the audience reacts, when the fans react, and they and they continue to make fun of these players, what are your thoughts? Because you you know you you cover these players, and, mm-hmm. and like you said, you criticize them based on performance. But after someone who has seen the performer and then you've seen the person and then you see the fan criticism, what are your thoughts? Because I've gotten to this point. I'm like, you know, I don't think I'm a real sports fan anymore. I think I'm more like a somebody. I don't know. I think I'm like a sports observer now these days. I'm like, well, yeah, I look I, at it? You know, I think the, the great thing about journalism for me is that it took me out of my fan mindset where I took everything very personally. Um, I still enjoy it, and I am a fan of of teams, Um, but I enjoy it in a different way because I do think about the individual. You know, people are human. These are human beings. And so I try to think about, you know, with a guy like uh, Terrell Owens, I think about his whole life. And when he talks about him being isolated by his grandmother for most of his childhood and um, not knowing his father lived right across the street from him and he never knew his name. And then going to a small school like University of Tennessee Chattanooga and making it to the NFL and playing behind Jerry Rice and then replacing Jerry Rice with the San Francisco 49ers and putting up those numbers and then going to Dallas and being putting up the numbers he put up there. There is, is, is a chip on your shoulder that comes from your life circumstances and you watch a person and you try to understand. Does it excuse everything a person does? No. But I think it's my role, both as a journalist and as a human being, to try to understand and empathize with an individual mm-hmm. before I decide to, to destroy them. Let's talk about student athletes for a second. I went to, you know, I went to Loyola, uh, New Orleans, small NAIA school. Uh, basketball team wins. Yay, the basketball team loses. <laughs> all too bad. Um, you know, we, 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 have the, we have the battle of Ferret where, where Loyola plays Tulane. Loyola gets kind of close for a half. <laughs> Tulane decides they've had enough, and then they kill us the second <laughs> half. And, you know, all the Loyola fans, the Wolfpack fans, we're up there, you know, giving our moral victory class. Yeah, you know, good job, guys. But you went to Wake Forest. Where right. athletics, sports is much more serious, especially being in that Virginia, North Carolina, South Carolina corridor, the Maryland corridor, that, that whole, it's just serious. Road, yeah. yeah, it is just serious. When the student athletes, um, you know, especially going to Wake, uh, you know, and, and just bear with me, I have this one quick story I got to mm-hmm. tell before I ask a question. I spoke at Duke once, and I remember... <laughs> I met 
uh, one of these student leaders and he said, oh, you know, he's one of our student athletes. I said, oh, cool. So I shook, I shook the young man's hand. I said, hey, what do you play? And he said, football. And I was like, oh. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and he, I said, "What position do you play?" See, that's he goes defensive back, and I went, "Ooh." <laughs> so, <laughs> but the student athletes in these major programs, what's it like for them? Right. So, at a school like Wake Forest, where our basketball team was ranked number one twice while I was there, and right. I was there during the Tim Duncan, Randolph Childress, oh yeah, era. That's right. So we won back-to-back ACC tournament championships while I was there. Um, and then on the other extreme, you had our football team and Jim Caldwell, who was recently let go as head coach of the Detroit Lions and coached the Indianapolis Colts when they mm-hmm. lost to the Saints in the Super Bowl, uh, was our head coach at the time. Oh, I did not and know in, that. Okay. And in our four years there, I believe our team won a grand total of maybe 13 games. <laughs> so we had these two extremes going on on campus. And, I, and of course... A school like Wake Forest, we had less than 400 black students when I was there. You do the math on football and basketball, and that'll tell you how you, that, how big a por- uh, proportion they were of our base. So we we all knew each other. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and a lot of these guys are my, my friends to this day. But, yeah, I've watched, you know, when you watch your football team play against Florida State, and get beaten 60-something to 17. Yeah. And those guys have to come back to campus on that Monday morning and go to class. It's hard because the 19-year-old in you wants to laugh. Right. You know, that's just your natural tendency is to make a joke. Um, But then you also understand that, you know, this is somebody who went out there and took a beating in the name of your school. (laughs) And sometimes you mess up. And and I... (laughs) I've made some inappropriate jokes at times to those guys. Uh, and love um, to tell the story. One in particular, we were sitting in the uh, student movie theater watching the Super Bowl 49ers Chargers. Oh, wow. Yeah. And, and you remember that was just a complete blowout. Right. And at one point in the third quarter, not remembering who I was sitting with because there were football players to the left and to the right, I blurred out. Man, this looks like us against Florida State. <laughs> and they all looked at me. Oh, man. I was so fortunate that we were in the campus movie theater and not out on the quad. <laughs> and I mean, and, and it's really got to, it's really got to mess with them. I mean, because these. These aren't pro athletes. I mean, no. even though people like to joke that they essentially pro, they're not pro athletes. I mean, these no. the, these and are kids. They really they still are. I mean, yes, they're they're legally adults, but they're, they're kids. And and it's yeah, you go away from home and somebody's telling you, you know, you've been given a promise. You you were the best athlete in your school when you were in high school, probably, mm-hmm. or one of the top in your state in some cases, and you go off to a program. You think we're gonna win. Mm-hmm. And you mm-hmm. get your butt beat in, and you know, I mean, you 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 didn't live that far from Tulane, and you watched their football program for years and years and years, yeah, yeah. And you saw good, talented kids that you saw play high school from New Orleans go up there and get beat up for four years. That's that's hard on you, not only on your body, but it's hard on your spirit. I, yeah, I was gonna say, and you know, it's it, as 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 an ignorant college student, 
you know, um, it's it's funny because yeah, having having gone to Loyola, and I grew up a Tulane football fan actually, and um, having gone to Loyola, it was just so cool for me to go to school at least next door to Tulane, and you know, I see the football players, but then you go to the games and you see them getting blown out by. Uh, I don't know, Navy or, you know, you see right. him getting getting killed by University of Houston or somebody like that. Uh, or, you know, or when they did play Florida State um, and you're sitting here going, man, there's going to be a bloodbath. The thing is, as an idiot college student who is on scholarship for your brain, not necessarily for your physical strength. Right. You fool yourself at some point and you see this linebacker who easily outweighs you by 75 pounds and he's he's a he's a torso taller than you are and you're sitting here going you suck. <laughs> right. And, you, and you're just sitting there going, do you realize who you just told that to, man? You told that to somebody who could kill you right now with this band. And you also and then you you ask half the people who are making these kinds of criticisms like catch a ball. Yeah. Just yeah. just stand 15 feet from me and catch a ball with no pressure, you know, without another person coming to hit you, without the speed of, of the play and the, the moment. Yeah. And you, you'll watch a lot of guys drop that football. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you yeah, you, you don't have uh, J- Javon the free curse coming after you, right? You, you don't have that. And so yeah, I, I, th- I think also in these cases, uh, you think about – what the what the place kicker goes through i mean all these people say things like how could you miss that field goal and then you get on the field and you see how far 30 yards really is and you can't get it three inches off the ground yeah. <laughs> you know, for a five yard kick and you, you tell know. them yeah you, you go to those play golf with those people and you ask them you know make you make that seven foot foot putt right you make it under pressure you go against the grain do all those things and we can't do those things. And we hold athletes at this incredibly high um, level of accountability. Uh, and and yes, we look at those. We look at mistakes, and you say you can't make these mistakes in those situations. And I absolutely agree with again analyzing the game. But to to I don't like the word choke. Right. I don't like right. the word you know um, you know uh, bum. You know those types of things because I, I firmly just refuse to believe that people are trying to fail. And and let's let's uh, switch to switch gears to social issues and let's stay on college athletes because we had the situation a couple of years ago at Mizzou um, mm. where I, I mean there was obviously a movement afoot on campus uh, with black students speaking up about inequities and then you had the graduate student who did the hunger strike but none of this really really grabbed the consciousness of the country until the football team decided to speak out until certain members of the football team led an effort. And they decided that they wanted to say, hey, we're not going to play the next game if this is how things are going to be. You know that by boosters, they probably didn't get the kindest words. And then you know mm-hmm. that there were there were white people from Mizzou. As a matter of fact, I remember seeing some of the tweets and mm-hmm. some of the social media posts from white students, white alumni, from boosters. And no, this is we know this is not all the white folks who were fans of Mizzou, who went to Mizzou, but there were some who were very cruel about it. Especially using the word ungrateful. Especially using words like that. Having known student athletes the way you got to know them, if you had to give your best guess, what would you think the thought process was for those Mizzou football players 
who knew that they were probably in danger of losing their scholarships, especially if their coach, because I, I applaud the coach for having had their back in that. What do you think went through their minds? And what do you think it was like for them to walk across campus knowing that they took this very public national stand? I think, you know, the most important thing was that it was the large enough group of them. It wasn't five guys. It wasn't 10 guys. It was the team. And there were some guys on the, who didn't agree, and that's fine. Um, mm-hmm. People have the right to their own choice. But the vast majority of the, the players, black and white, agreed that this needed to be done. Mm-hmm. And I think the coach in kind, when you understand that some young men are truly committed to something or young women, I think it's your duty um, to support them as an adult you know, mm-hmm. and let them understand what the consequences are, what the potential consequences are. Um, and, and let them uh, do something that they think is right. I think, you know, we keep saying that college coaches are supposed to be educators and uh, raisers of young men. And I think that in that situation, the coach handled it properly. But um, I think the toughest thing uh, for those young men was knowing that they were going to be pariahs mm. for trying to do the right thing. Um, and, and I think with the support of the larger community, both black and white, and you saw professors stand up for them as well, Yeah, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. you know, it was, was very good in counteracting the negativity that came their way. And I think Missouri was also prepared for this because of the Michael Sam situation. That's they true. had been through yeah. a team. They had had players who probably were still aware of that situation, understood the unity that it took as a team to get through that situation both the private nature of it and then once it became public. So I think you had an administration and a, a team staff that was uh, well-prepared for it, um, which makes them a unique program in that regard. You know what? Quick question about Michael Sam. Was he unfairly <laughs> booted from the – I mean, he wasn't booted from the league, but should he have gotten more shots? Should he still be playing football? Uh, I don't know. Um, you know, I'm not skilled enough to evaluate the talent. Okay. Uh, what we did okay. see That's is fair. This, in his preseason work that he did with the Rams, he had seemed to have earned a spot. Uh, I don't, uh, you know, uh, but what I would say is this. I don't think he was given as clean of an opportunity as he would have been because I think teams still, you know, want to, to use the distraction card, which mm-hmm. we know is inconsistent because, like I said, when it comes to drug abuse, that's not a distraction. When right. it comes to domestic abuse, that's not a distraction. When it comes to alcohol abuse, it's not a distraction. But when it comes to homosexuality mm-hmm. or issues of race, um, if black people are talking about them, because Richie Incognito, we just saw, went through another problem with Jacksonville's defensive line. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when it's, when it's those two things, then it's a distraction. Mm-hmm. And and I mean honestly, is is I actually thought about Michael Sam not too long ago, and um, and honestly, my answer unequivocally at this point is I really believe he should still be playing in the league. I'm and I'm like you, I'm not an evaluator of talent, but I'm sorry that preseason he had was a very clear indicator that he should have at least had some shots to play, uh, you know, past that because. Come on, come on, Dave. You and I have seen players who they can't even get past the smallest, it seems, you know, offensive lineman. They can't get a good spin move in. They can't do – and this this dude could do it. He could well, that, do it. Yeah, and, that, you know, you look at it and you say no SEC defensive player of the year had ever been drafted lower than the third round. Right. And he was drafted as the last pick of the draft, basically. Mm-hmm. Um 
And then you look at the fact that uh, edge rushers are always at a premium in the NFL, and there yeah, are plenty yeah. of guys like like a Vic Beasley in Atlanta who have similar body types to Michael Sam and put similar uh, – Vic Beasley had a better speed number, but mm-hmm. again – uh, we we've seen plenty of football players. It's not about speed and the forty. It's how fast you get from the edge to the quarterback. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. if he could do that consistently, then there you know there should be a place. But like I said, I never felt like he was given an opportunity to play with players of his talent. I mean, mm-hmm. if they if I keep putting you in situations where you're playing with guys who plan on cutting, you're not going to get an opportunity to make my team. Yeah, and 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 for for someone who's downloaded this and you're listening to it and you're you're trying to figure out who's Michael Sam, Michael Sam. Uh, actually came out of the closet uh, as homosexual before the draft. And not only that, uh, when he was drafted, he kissed his boyfriend on TV. And so uh, he gets into the league. He has a great preseason with the loss at, well, at then the St. Louis Rams. And um, after that, eh, not much of anything. But his, his, talent, his, his talent clearly showed. Um, and it, to me, it showed that he could play. And, <clears throat> excuse me, that takes me to – uh, you know, let, let's go back to actually dealing with social issues and speaking out on social issues. Here's a statement that I love, and it seems to be used on athletes and entertainers more than anybody else. You should stick to football. You should stick to music, right? And so it's interesting that that you hear that used for athletes because to me, that's people telling them, we don't think you have the intelligence to talk about anything outside of what you do, <laughs> you know. And, uh, and, and it's funny because when you look at Colin Kaepernick, everybody who tries to do that, he should stick to football argument, gets beaten badly in a debate because you're sitting here going, you can't tell me he's not intelligent. First of all, this man graduated from college. Second of all, listen to him when he speaks. Third, <laughs> look at right. not don't just look at the fact that he's a philanthropist, but look at how look at what kind of philanthropist he is. Right. You know, fourth, by the way, he makes actually makes great decisions on the football field that go beyond football intelligence of the so-called football IQ. You know, it, it, it just it just feels to me and it's not lost on me that there are a lot of conservatives who tend to say that when they hear a black athlete speak out. Um, and so in those cases, you've got to, you've got to wonder just how much these athletes, how, how much they put it together in their heads that they, under, I mean, Colin Kaepernick had to know. He had to, at some point say to himself, I might not play football again after this. You know, do, do, right. you, do you think that might have gone through his head at some point? Because I, I think he's intelligent Absolutely. enough to have figured that out. I mean, he, you know, he 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 talked to Harry Edwards, and if anybody knows about what the consequences are of taking a stand, Harry you know, Edwards. he he saw John Carlos and and um, Tommy Smith and the price that they paid, uh, you know, for taking a stand, uh, and. You know, he was there. He was in in the middle of that. He was part of Muhammad Ali's. Uh, group of athletes you know oh yeah that's right yeah yeah um, with jim brown uh, and lou cinder and bobby uh, Mm -hmm. just i mean just that he was there you know and and so he's seen those things up close and personal he uh so i think colin was has been extremely aware of what the consequences of his actions could be at the same time to say that there should be consequences is a joke yeah (laughs) and then on top of that 
let's look at the quarterbacks who were playing for a championship this this Sunday. Mm-hmm. Blake Bortles. Mm-hmm. Case Keenum. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, Nick Foles. Yeah. <laughs> and then you look at the guys who started games, uh, you know, Peterman up in Buffalo. Yeah. Or, you know, every team that lost the starter, look at the backups who came in and got minutes. Look at look at who the Panthers, when when um, Cam Newton was knocked out of Saints game momentarily, yeah, yeah. and they have to send in Derek, Derek Anderson. Anderson. Right, right. And, and then uh, everybody in San Francisco got so excited over Jimmy Garoppolo's numbers over the last six games, they were no better than Colin Kaepernick's numbers the last six games of last season, and he had less talent and was going through his third coach and third offensive coordinator right. in three seasons. Yeah, it's clearly about this one thing with Kaepernick. It's not about talent. One of the the things that I've I've had an issue with is, you know, in, in the city of New Orleans. Mm-hmm. Drew Brees has done a lot in the city of New Orleans, and, and, and he's been a, a great citizen of the city in a lot of ways. But at the same time, one of the things that I was disappointed in was his response to Colin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and again, this is not a black issue. This is a human issue. Yeah. And we have not seen the white players outside of Chris Long, who has done a tremendous job for the last two years in speaking out about these issues. But we see a Drew Brees who has not said much about it, not even in the city of New Orleans and what he's seen there. Um, and then his, his dollars have gone to people who may not necessarily have needed giant donations to Lusher High School. Mm. And if you don't know Lusher High School in New Orleans, it is a magnet high school. In, um, it is a charter high school, but it attracts mostly the parents of the elite in New Orleans. Mm-hmm. Do, you, do, you look at, do you look at people like a Drew or some other critic and, and the people who, who comfortably sit in this, well, it's just not patriotic. You know, they just dismiss it that quickly. And do you look at them and say, you you really don't value this person's voice at all? Do you, and, I mean, is, is that your yeah, thought? And you're arguing the wrong thing. Why are you like if if the flag and I've had I've had people come after me on Twitter and I've said if the, the flag cannot be more important than the actual people. Right. If you're right. upset about the flag, but you're not upset about people dying. For whatever the reason, we should not be as a society okay with people dying without trial. Mm-hmm. I don't want people to die in prison anyway, but in most cases. Um, but right. at the same time, I know for sure I don't want people dying in the streets where the only story we get to hear is the police officers. Yeah, yeah. And then and then you go to, you look at my like a Kaepernick and you say, well, he doesn't know what he's talking about anyway. He's just a football player. Right, and then we look <laughs> Look at who gets promoted. Colin Kaepernick gave a million dollars of his own money, and others decided to help. J.J. Watt got tons of accolades for asking for money, and a whole bunch came in. Yeah, yeah. I don't know J.J. Watt donated a million dollars, as far as I can recollect. But he got a whole bunch of accolades for asking for money, mm-hmm. where Colin Kaepernick has been on the streets meeting with children, giving out his own money to 10 organizations. He's lived up to that bargain, but nothing, nothing is said. Right. Wow. All right. I got three questions. I'm going to end this with three questions. Okay. This is my um, ID three, identity three questions. And I just want you to give me your gut uh, instinct. And uh, and they're not questions, they're actually statements. I want you to complete these three statements. All right. Okay. All right. Ready? Here we go. Mm -hmm. First one. A fan should be in the locker room to experience 
the 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 tension the tension Mm, okay all right it's cool to imagine being a pro athlete until you watch them get off the training table um yeah ouch um (laughs) you're gonna love this one i know you you are gonna love this one (laughs) social media has made fans more Ignorant. <laughs> I knew it. <laughs> and I mean, you know, no no shade at the fans, but some of y'all, come on. Feed that dog, Grub. Big thanks to my man, David Grub, for uh, joining me again. And yeah, I definitely plan to have him back on this podcast. And going back to that last answer, look, fans, let's, let's be honest. We're ignorant. Not as in we're unintelligent, we just don't know. We don't know what these players go through and what they put on the line. Yeah, they make a lot of money. I get that. But let's look at it this way. There was this blog that I wrote right after the infamous Marcus Williams mistake in 2018. And it's called Athletes Are People. You can check it out on my Facebook page, Eddie Francis Unscripted. And part of what I wrote was this. Players who seek this spotlight should gain perspective through infamous moments in sports like Tracy McGrady's posterizing Sean Bradley or Bill Buckner's World Series error. And players should understand that they are, at the very least, nicely compensated on the professional level to play with excellence. At the same time, Fans have a responsibility to understand that players are people with identities and value. What if the public knew about game-changing mistakes we made on our jobs? There are highly paid corporate CEOs that you hold less accountable for committing crimes that ruin people's lives. Again, you can check out that blog on my Facebook page, Eddie Francis Unscripted. I am clear that the people who play sports are adults in most cases and they accepted the responsibility to play in front of so many people and to take on the big stage. But that doesn't excuse fans from being thoughtless. Fans, we're responsible for having character too. And what do we always hear these sportscasters talk about when it comes to players and their character? They like to throw out the definition that character is what we do or how we act when no one is watching. Well, you know what? No one watches the fans. So give the athletes who follow the rules and live right the space to be human as well, whether it is in the arena or outside the arena. Again, many thanks to David Grubb for an outstanding interview. So there are three things I want to leave you with here. Okay, first of all, subscribe to the podcast or on your favorite platform. You can catch it on iTunes, Google Play, and of course, we have it on Podbean where the podcast originates. Rate the episode and shoot me some feedback. You can do it at eddiefrancis.com if you don't do it on the actual podcast page. And by all means, the biggest thing you can do, share with friends. Episode four is another throwback interview, but a really good one. Halima has a conversation with mental health counselor Leslie Brown about the mental health benefits of giving. That's episode four of For Our Edification. Thanks a lot for downloading.